Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today I am joined by one of my dear old friends in the integral community, uh, Michael Zimmerman. Hey Michael, how you doing? I'm well, how are you Jeff? Thanks for having me on today. My pleasure. Uh, Michael, you and I, I'm, I was thinking back, I think we met in the early, uh, maybe 2004, 2005, at the original Integral Institute seminars, where you came and taught. And um, I remember just, we just loved you. You know, you were, this was a sort of collection of all of the people on Ken Wilber's Rolodex, you know, and we'd have these seminars that were kind of think tanks. And uh, so, yeah, that's where we first got together. Well, it's been it's been great um, living in Boulder because you have not only Jeff but also uh, Steve McIntosh and right. integral players. Uh, so it's it's been a good spot for me in that way. Yeah, yeah, right on. Uh, so you've been teaching at as a, a, a professor of philosophy, Tulane, CU here in Boulder for the past several years, and now you're retired, right? And uh, and, you know, it just sort of reminds me that I'd love to talk to you just about academic life at some point, but we have another topic today. And it's also really interesting, and I've loved talking to you about this over the years. And it's the uh, topic of artificial intelligence. And, um, and so I guess I just start by asking you to um, just sort of set the lay of the land of artificial intelligence. It's a topic that's of interest to a lot of people who are evolutionaries. I mean, we can see it coming online. We can see that in many ways it's already here. And uh, you make some really, I think, interesting distinctions that help me to get the lay of the land. So why don't you just start there? That sounds good. Well, you know, I've been um, doing uh, what's called philosophy of technology for about 40 years. And 10 years ago, I came across Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near. That is like the end is near, the singularity is near. Now, what he means by that is that moment in the future when artificial intelligence becomes as smart as human beings and then starts to redesign itself so it rapidly becomes millions of times more intelligent. And that future, he claims, is in the offing. He thinks we'll have computers with human intelligence capacity in about 12 or 14 years. Now, I, I, should, I want to mention something about this guy, Ray Kurzweil. He is director of engineering at Google. And he's a world-famous inventor, won many awards and prizes, MIT grad, super smart guy. And he believes that we are going to merge with our computer and become superhuman in some way. Yeah. Well, you know, let me just lay out my first sort of yeah. objection. Not if it's, it's an objection. I think that's true in the sense that uh, we will... Uh, create machines that are smarter than human beings. We already have. My phone's smarter than I am. In the terms of aggregating facts and information, waste, you know, smarter than I am. But I don't care how many times more, you know, uh, uh, transistors that you put into that sort of thing, it's not going to have a shred of consciousness or soul. Well, that's... that's and so that's the... You know, I mean, I think that's a materialist's view of, of how it's going to happen, but I'm not sure it's an integral view. Oh, You've I, knocked me off this pedestal before, and I'm, and I'm trying to remember how, so I'll give you that challenge again. Well, let, let's, uh, philosophers always like to start by saying, well, let's make a distinction. All right. Right away, that distracts attention from the problem. <laughs> Get my act together. A good trick. Yeah. Uh, so the distinction is between artificial intelligence, which we already have. Look at that smartphone. Billions of times more powerful than computers from back in the 60s. Billions. Think about that. Now, so we already have artificial intelligence all over the place. For example, the artificial intelligence that beat AlphaGo, that the AlphaGo machine that beat the champion of Go. This is the famous old Chinese uh, board game. Computer specialists thought this wouldn't happen for at least a decade, but it happened last year. Now, get this. 
AlphaGo has given rise to its successor, AlphaGo Zero, which taught itself from scratch how to play and played thousands, millions of games with itself in a competition between AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero. AlphaGo Zero won 100 out of 100 games. <laughs> a year later. Wow. That, that's all right. So, but even then, no matter how smart that AlphaGo Zero is in terms of playing this game, it's not conscious. Right. That's right. That's right. Not yet. But here's what, this is the big kahuna. Now, now you know, the more you read about what these Silicon Valley people say, and they put it out there. It's not. They're all materialists. They don't get the distinction. No, that's right. This other distinction between interiority and, you know, stuff out in the exteriors. They want, that's what they want. They want to create what's called artificial general intelligence. Okay. Now, so there's AI, which is artificial intelligence, then AGI, artificial general intelligence. What's that? Well, artificial intelligence is always focused on a particular activity, playing Go, or doing something with your bank account, or Facebook, or something. Right. But they, they have no further mission. That's because the algorithms are all dedicated. Now, uh, what can a human being do? I mean, an ordinary human being learns to speak, can learn to play a musical instrument, can find his or her way across town on a bus, can learn mathematics. You know, there's all, we do all kinds of stuff. We have general intelligence. Now, that's the big kahuna. If you can create a computer that has general intelligence, which would require the ability for that computer to reflect upon itself and its own operations, and to check on how it's doing and to assess itself, then you might have the makings of some sort of interiority. Now, we don't know that yet, but that's, that's really the question. Can that occur? Now, look, think about it this way. I know this is the big sticking point, interiority. What, is it, what would it be like to be a computer that's self-conscious? Well, Ken Wilbur has talked about this. I've talked about this with him. He says, imagine being up, uh, uploading your consciousness into a computer that has no body. That would be, he said, that he can't imagine anything more horrifying. Because every, <laughs> everything we know about consciousness from our interiority is embodied. Right. But unless you have an embodied robotic presence, which is capable of sensing and so on, it, it, so there's a lot of stuff that has to be done before right. we can something mirror. Well, and, and, and Michael, can't we also make the distinction between a, you know, sort of from scratch machine versus augmented intelligence where it's something we're plugging into the human being, you know, some sort of a implant or a machine or whatever. Doing it with our smartphones, it just didn't hook in yet. Well, thank you. But, but, but Ray Kurzweil says, and the other people say, it's just a matter of time before the chip's going. Well, that's different then. If, 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 to the degree that we're augmenting um, our own consciousness, that inter- you know, our human interiority um, is, is online. So, you know, as long as we live in our little biological sacks of meat. Right. Well, that, that's, this is kind of Kurzweil's, Ray Kurzweil's vision that we increasingly merge with the computers that we're building. And that, but the, when the question comes up, what, what would a, you know, a vastly augmented, well, you know, uh, techno-human be like? I mean. No, would, I think that's what's, you know, we're, we're online, that's, that's gonna come. Could we even talk to such a being? I mean, what, yeah. what would we have in common in terms of, just think about our limitations. I mean, being able to do two things at once, and, you know, you know, multitasking is overrated. If you can, do, you may be able to do two things at once, but three or four things get out of here. But a <laughs> really powerful, a computer can do a AGI computer can do all kinds of things at once. Right. And now think about it this way: one way people have talked about consciousness is like a desktop. All right. In other words, what's in front of you is the stuff on your desktop. That's what you have in your in mind. Like, oh, I got to call up what's your name, right? Oh, no, I should have done, you know, so these things are showing up on the desktop, but you can only do a couple of them. But what if you could do 20 at once and keep track of the, how they're relating to each other as you're completing one task and setting up an appointment and all the things are happening at once? 
Mm-hmm. What would it be like to, to experience that? Mm-hmm. Now, we could ask the question, I suppose, what would it mean to move from a cat consciousness? I have a cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cat, which is an advanced mammal, to just an ordinary human being. What would the poor cat, what would it make of it all, right? right? Jump ship. It's interior cat interiority. Yeah. And there's, you know, but what would it be? So what would it be like for us really to be augmented? Right. Well, I think there's some insight that we can gain by looking at how we are related to our great, great grandparents or, you know, even further back where life really was pretty simple. I mean, there was only so much to know this even back before the printing press and so forth. People didn't have a whole lot going on in terms of their, you know, compared to what we hold in our minds. Compared to the number of people that the places we've been, the number of people that we know, uh, and now augmented by social media, uh, you know, and we're still in one piece. Yeah, yeah. But but fraying at the edges here. I mean, it's been interesting to see that. Well, I don't. What were you going to say? I'm just going to say that this turn in consciousness about social media and realizing from the Russia political thing to just the basic shallowizing of of mind that it's not altogether a good thing and and we have to look at it and that sort of feels new in the last year or so yeah well part part of it is we're unleashing technological capacities uh, that enable new forms of relationship that we don't yet understand like you know zuckerberg facebook said well no they russians couldn't be doing that and later, he found out, well, shit, they, they were doing that. Right, exactly. Uh, and he was shocked, as well as was his, you know, his, one of his chief operating officers. So everyone who's unleashing these new capacities uh, over which, you know, no one votes on these. They show up in the marketplace. I know. And they cause immense disruption. Yes. Well, and you know, this, uh, there was an article written by one of the engineers at Facebook, and he was just talking about, you know, what we're trying to do is keep you clicking. It's a little bit like this, this you know, colossal B.F. Skinner pigeon thing. And they're good at it. Of course they are. They know exactly what makes that happen in this little shot of dopamine that we keep getting. And, and, and of course, the, um, it's in service of eyeballs on their advertisers what so, they, you know it's their motivation is is how they make money is through attention yeah getting our attention to a certain site whatever it might be and you're right they're brilliant at, at doing that yeah to the extent to which we enable it by staying online and doing all this kind of stuff they just get better at it yeah when you think about google you know it's new this home assistant they have Right. I forget what the name of it is. There's, you know, Amazon as one and Google. Well, you know, they're they're tracking all that information. All that information is going to Google. Right. Not how humans talk and interact and so on. It's all going into. Okay, but let's stop for a minute, because one of the big obstacles for us to understand what's coming is that we tend to think of change in linear terms. Now, listen to this. I, I was watching uh, one of Ray Kurzweil's uh, broadcasts. He speaks all over the world. Uh, this guy can multitask, okay? So he gives us an example. You remember about 20 years ago, they were trying to crack the human genome. They were trying to map the DNA that structures a human being. Now, most, most scientists said it'll take at least a century to do this because it, it was so complicated. So after about seven years, they got to 1% of the human genome. Now, if you were to do a linear, uh, you know, if you were to extrapolate, it would take 700 years to get all 100%. Now, most people think it's taken sooner than that, 100 years, hey, come on. But it was all done in 15 years. And this is what Kurzweil said. As soon as they got to 1%, I knew it was almost done. Why? He said because they had been doubling every year. Yeah what they were yeah. able to get. Right. So, now figure it out. If you double 1%, it's 2, then 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128. Yeah. So within seven years, they had gotten all the rest of it. That is a wholly different kind of change. That's exponential 
change. No. That's what we're faced with. So what are we going to do, Michael? Well, here, uh, look, here's the thing. You have people all over the planet, scientists and engineers and entrepreneurs in China now and in Korea, of course, the United States, Europe, Canada, Mexico. They're all feverishly working on these projects. And the computing power, this is called Moore's Law, has been doubling every two years for about 50 years. That's what Kurt Swab was referring to in the late 60s when he was at MIT. You know, got to occasionally would get a, a little bit of time on the mainframe computer, as they call it. This cell phone, I have an old Mac, Apple's phone, billions of times more powerful because for 50 years there's been a doubling of the amount of number of transistors you can get into a, a chip space. Yeah. It's increasingly miniaturized. So, all these, all these domains in which people operate, whether it's law or medicine, whether it's media or, for that matter, university education and I with, they are all going to be tremendously buffeted by what's coming. Think about what happened to, to the news organizations with the advent of, of online journalism. I mean, it, you know, newspapers, these are very old and important institutions in the United States and elsewhere. Folding, you know, over the past 10 or 15 years. Yep. And think about what's happened to medicine. You know, they now have programs which can do a much better job of detecting cancer in terms of slides or whatever is sent to them for, for uh, you know, examination than a regular, very trained doctor. So at what point mm -hmm. just replace those doctors who are the experts in detecting cells and to say, well, let's let the computers do it. Yeah. Is there any white collar job safe? That's right. the question today. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think we can sort of envision a future where everything's sort of taken care of us for us, at, at least on the material plane. Uh, so, you know, resources and making stuff and the factories are all robotized and we don't have to work for a living anymore in that way. But that's a radical new organization of society. And it's going to be a bumpy road to get there, but I don't think we could say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Well, you know, it, it has to do, look, let's look at it this way. We are experiencing a period of amnesia because of the rapidity of change. I mean, who's 20 years old remembers a physical letter, receiving a letter, right? Mm -hmm. Or remembers a time when there wasn't Facebook or a computer or a smartphone. I mean, the, the whole let's think about it this way. What was subjectivity, interiority like pre-personal computer and pre-email and then pre- oh, You and I remember that. Well, that's right. It's like the same, there's an analogy here. It's called environmental amnesia. Uh, and that is, this is postulated by a really good environmental psychologist a number of years ago. Um, Kids growing up today have no recollection of what the land used to look like before all those houses were built. But we do, people who are 40, 50, 60, 70, like I live here in Boulder. The first time I came out here 25 years ago, there wasn't anything between Boulder and Denver. I mean, Den Boulder was 25 miles out in the country. Now, now, yeah, it's, to it's totally lined. I mean, the whole, and this is just mushrooming. Now, so people, so there's also the interior domain. There's a kind of amnesia, a forgetting, because you never experienced it. Mm -hmm. So that cultural uh, aspects that are so important to interiority uh, are increasingly undermined because of the nature of the technology which possesses us as much as vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see it in myself. You know, I can go back to the pre uh, computer days. It's I, I built my businesses. We didn't have email when I sold my business in 1995. You know, it's astonishing to me, but it's true. And 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 I don't remember it being feeling that much different. But I could look at a couple markers. Uh, one of them is I don't read novels anymore. I, I, every now and then I'll read a novel, but uh, it's very difficult for me. And uh, but but. Here's what's happening. I'm getting hip to 
the idea that I don't want to read novels on screens. I want to read novels and actual books. So me and a lot of other people, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Me and a lot of other people, because the sale of actual physical books is increasing as a percentage of book sales. Right, the e-books are going down. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure that we're not going to, it's, it's almost like that um, this, this, sort of information explosion where all of a sudden all information is available to us is a little bit analogous to junk food. It's like all of a sudden the hunt for calories is over everybody. You know, we have all the calories we need and let's have four and 5,000 of them a day. You know, it's so easy. And then we all get unhealthy and fat and, 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 and then we sort of get hip and we sort of wake up and say, wait a second, I'm, that's not good. That's not healthy. And I think there's a reaction against the tech world that, you know, we're seeing in culture. But I think we're particularly seeing it I was going to say among the younger generation, but forget it. I mean, they're just, they're glued to their screens. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, no, well, we, we're going to have to get hip to this because we could only get so shallow. <laughs> but I, I think, I think the, but the question is, do we have time to get hip? That's what this exponential change is about. All right. That, that's where it's extremely difficult to wrap your mind around this. But Kurzweil, He's a key player in all this, not only because of his position at Google, but because of the things he's written about. Oh, no, he's legendary in his own time. And because he's a brilliant futurist, he has made incredible predictions about when things are going to roll out. For example, he predicted the year that Big Blue would beat uh, Kasparov in chess in 1997. And he's made a number of other predictions. It's about 90% accurate. Um, and so he's predicting we'll have a computer, a desktop computer with the computing power of a human mind, brain, in about 12 or 14 years. And it'll, you know, it'll be able to... But it'll have zero percent... Well, well, but that's, well, that's all right. That's all right. That, that's going to come. And that may well come from the blending of human... Yeah. Well, the blending I get. And so... But remember this. Uh, but that's this whole interiority thing. is so complicated. Of course, it's part of the matter. It is. Yes. This, I think, is how this gets us into so many. But look, this is the thing. I mean, you could have an infinite heap of exteriors and it's not going to have a shred of interiors. Now, remember, though, okay, everything has interiority. Yeah, well, the the atoms do. Yes. Molecules do. Yes. Okay. so at what point could non-carbon based, non-fleshy molecules acquire a kind of openness, a kind of self-awareness. Oh, God, Michael. Well, I'm just asking it. This is I the, mean, maybe. I don't. You're scaring me now. Well, no, but that's that's what we're faced with. You, look, you know, all this money people are making on smart, you know, they, you know these what the Google and Apple and these people are doing with that money? Do you think they do this thing <laughs> with smartphones? It, the cash is going to serious stuff like AGI. They want to be the ones to create a machine-like human consciousness. That's the big deal. I mean, it's like, you know, this fires their rockets more than anything else. And there are, many of them are scared witless. Well, Elon Musk talks about the killer robots or something. The killer robots. We talked about that in a few minutes. It's just horrifying. You know, this, have you seen? Did you watch that video? No. Uh-uh. Slaughterbots. Just Google it. Slaughterbots. Slaughterbots. It was, now, look, this, was, this gets us into all kind of other stuff. You might as well mention it. Uh, you know, talk about it for a minute. I just came across this a couple of days ago. Um, it's a film, it's a video, very sophisticated. It starts out with kind of a Steve Jobs character up in front of a big room showing off the latest technology. What the latest technology are bots, or I should say uh, uh, drone bots about the size of a, you know, like a uh, cupcake or something. And they are, because of miniaturization, they have incredible computing power. And they are, in, they have tremendous facial recognition capacity. So they can be turned loose, penetrate glass, they can explode right through glass, find the face they want, and put a a charge right through the forehead, which blows the brain up. And that's efficient. Oh, yeah. And they were showing about how you can release thousands of them, all each of which has a target. And each of which, they're like terminators. They won't stop until they get their victim. 
We're, how are we going to keep this, this, you know, technology out of pre-modern hands? Oh, of course. Delighted to use it to, you know, kill the infidels. On the other hand, think, think about, remember in Uganda and Rwanda where they had all that trouble in the 90s? In three months, like 300,000 people were killed with machetes and stuff. So, you know, you know, some guy in Las Vegas with some guns kills 50 and wounds 500. So we, you know, it's not like we, we can't. Well, you know, I have this sort of theory that, you know, as it gets, these things get so advanced, you know, you have to have a certain, uh, you know, technical ability to, to uh, deploy them. But right. that's not necessarily true. And that's certainly, you know, I mean, uh, anybody could take a, 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 a dirty bomb in a knapsack and go and pull the ripcord. Sure, right. You know, uh, so uh, it's... Well, um, the point is that, the, now the guy who put this together, Stuart Russell, he's a very famous Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley computer scientist with bunches of books, including maybe the best-selling uh, textbook on artificial intelligence. Like he's the man in some ways in the, in the uh, academy. And he's, he was the one who helped produce this. Now, it was put out by, let me get this right, um, by the, um, let's see if I can find it here. Yeah. The video was released this month by the Future of Life Institute, which was funded by Stephen Hawkins, Hawking and Elon Musk. Hmm. A billion, like a billion dollars or something. Wow. Because they're so concerned about the potential wrong turns that AGI could take. Hmm. Just as, think about it this way, just as we didn't anticipate this Facebook thing, we, well, there's a lot of stuff we don't anticipate about what we're unleashing. Now, here's one of the reasons. The, because of the exponential growth, we can hardly even begin to grapple with the first stage of it when suddenly it's morphed into something new. It's like this AlphaGo, which beat the Go champion. Well, a year later, it's being beat 100 to nothing by the next generation in one year. Right. That speed with which this stuff's going to unfold. It, we don't really have time to alter our individual subjectivity, our cultural norms, or economic structures to take into account the, the massive rapid change that, that's coming on us. That, that, I think, is the message of these people. Uh, let me give you another example about this, just, just to, to give you a sense of what's possible now that no one could have imagined. I can't imagine 10 years ago anything like this. A couple of years ago, I read in Wired magazine. I highly recommend Wired. It's a way to keep up on things. You right. get it online. I get the physical copy, too. But they had a story in there about some Japanese <coughs> Google guy working in Tokyo on Google Translate. And one morning he woke up and he found that the translating was, was much better. Now, he had no idea why. But, you know, these translating uh, uh, programs are constantly improving themselves. From one language to the other, translation. I've used them. Yeah, they're doing this deep learning. So they're, co they're coaching themselves. They're, they're constantly getting refinements. All right. So I read this and I said, okay. I'll try it out. Now, I'm, I'm a, I study German philosophy. I can read German, all right? Heidegger, Marx, Nietzsche, all these people. So I type a big, fat paragraph of German from Heidegger, you know. The <laughs> Google Translate, hit the button, and one second later, a very good translation shows up. I was astonished. It, was, it wasn't just word salad? It was good. Now, there's wow. a few... A few refinements because it wasn't quite clear what the how this technical term might be used. But anyway, but I could make perfect sense of it. Now that and it's unbelievable. Or now again, the machine isn't conscious of doing it, but but the capacity of a computer to interpret na translate natural language like that. We are in a domain that is unparalleled in human history. Yeah, and that seems to be sort of uncomplicatedly good. You know, I mean, why not communicate? It, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. but, but again, all that's fine. But remember, all of these people who work in these industries, they're all about exponential growth. Right. They're, they're no one's sitting still. Right. So but every day, new things are coming. Now, you can imagine, you know, I look, by the way, when I looked at this 
everyone should Google slaughterbot slaughterbots. If you're willing to see seven minutes, you know, one of the things they built into it was U.S. senators being targeted in Congress. Oh, really? Taken down by the bots. Wow. Just to point out, it doesn't matter how many guards, they can't stop that bot from getting right. Yeah. Eyes of a bird moving so fast. Right. So that was so they took this to the UN and they showed it to the senators and stuff. They so the point being they they want to stop some of this research. But I went to another, there's another, you wouldn't believe what's out there in the defense industry. Here's another one called from Duke Robotics. Just look up Duke Robotics. They have a video called New Boat No Boots on the Ground. And it shows these drones uh, carrying, uh, you know, high-powered submachine guns, and they're going flying around, firing their machine guns at target, targets, and the drone itself is able to adjust itself to take, care, take into account the kickback from the shooting so they keep it a constant uh, target, you know. Oh, all- sure, that's a very and solvable the, problem. These guys are really proud of it. You should see these ads, you know. It's all super... I mean, so there are people not only making a living doing all this stuff, but really getting off on it. If they're, yeah. they're creating, they're, yeah. they're you know, yeah. an incredible cascade, which is getting faster and faster. Yeah, it seems like there's, uh, you know, just like there's going to have to be a, a radical change in the economy from a growth economy to a, you know, sustainable economy. And that you know, a radical change where we are basically post labor. You know, we all just enjoy the fruits of the of 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 and, and the distribution of the goods is the issue. But, uh, but we solve that. But currently, it, it is it's to be a roadblock. But if you talk, you know, these the pro uh, AI people, AGI people like Kurzweil and others, uh, they, they're much more optimistic in terms. You know, not only. Yeah. Abundance, but it'll be available to everyone. Exactly, and we'll we'll solve that problem. You know, if if we don't, you know, blow ourselves up in the meantime, I guess that's always sort of been the the horse race. Well, you know, there's there's so many things to talk about. You know, that's also including the fact that we're probably already in a computer simulation. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Right, so here here's how that argument goes. Now, this is really creepy. It's the Matrix, basically. We're already in the matrix, only that we don't have any bodies. You know, the, the matrix has these human bodies stored away and their energy. I mean, the whole thing is, but, the, but the, there's nothing but the matrix for us. There's no organi- organic human out there that we can get back to. Right. So it goes like this. If we somehow make it um, as terrestrial intelligence to high tech, uh, either we're going to blow ourselves up you know, we'll kill ourselves off, which is why some people say, uh, Fermi, the great Italian physicist, asked, where is everybody? This is in the 50s. You know, well, if, if life is everywhere, you know, now those people who believe in UFOs is to say, hey, we have been contacted, but we're not, that's not official yet. We don't know what's really happening in there. Right. I have a theory about that, by the way. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think it's actually a reasonable theory based on, uh, you know, the evolution of consciousness. I think that um, any culture, I I just postulate this. I mean, I don't know. But any culture that is advanced enough to contact us would be morally um, uh, prohibited from doing so. It's the the Star Trek uh, prime imperative, right? Oh, there you go. Yes. Right. Don't go with these primitive... Types. Yeah, just like the way we are now with uncontacted tribes. I mean, things seep through, but the official policy is to let them be alone, right? Well, think about it this way. Here's what. It, here's the. This now the guy who came up with this, Nick Bostrom, B O S T R U M. He's a Swedish, uh, Swedish-born philosopher. Teaches at Oxford. Wrote a book on superintelligence two or three years ago, which is like the Bible right now for philosophers and a lot of computer scientists. And he says, look, if we, if we, either we blow ourselves up or we're probably already in a computer simulation. Now, why is that? Okay, here, here's his argument. Once we get to super high tech and can harness entire planets as computers, I mean, the computing power which dwarfs anything we can even imagine now, okay, then it would be not a problem to have simulated worlds. World history with thousands of years and all this kind of stuff. And you'd be able to create 
conscious beings inside the computer who think that they are organic. And he says, look, what would be, assuming that is going to happen, why not? Then the odds of us being the only beings who are made of actual flesh and blood, <laughs> the odds are probably, we're, we're not what we think we are. It's uh, almost a certainty all of a sudden. We're, we're already in a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Get over it. Hey, I guess you can't, or I, I can't prove that we're not. Sim universe, you know. And they, they have talk about all this stuff like, um, since it's all made up, I mean, yeah. you don't have to do the constant computing power for what's underneath the ground. It's just when somebody digs there, you put the stuff in there that's, you know, that they're going to see. You know, right. Yeah, that's not a problem. It's not a, even so, they could probably do all that anyway. With the right. And they're getting, it's getting smarter all the time. And getting better at it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's just. But see, this again is, th- th- these are the, to me, the fever dreams of people who think that human beings are all, are all just material. They think, they think we're already just material. They're materialists. Yeah, they don't have a sense of interiority any which way. I agree. And, you know, I, I would say one of the, we talked about this. They think we're robots already. Right. You know. well, from their point of view, replacing human beings, for some, for some of these people, I think, for example, like, Peter Teich, you know, he's the co-founder of, uh, was it PayPal? He's a guy supporting Peter Thiel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Trump supporter, libertarian. A, yeah. lot of, a lot of these guys, and I emphasize guys in Silicon Valley, and not just there and other high-tech centers around the world, a lot of them are libertarian. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not interested in, you know, the liberal collective, whatever. They're, they're more like Ayn Rand's you know, a great individual going out there and taking over the universe. Yeah. Um, now, for some of these people like Tice, Teal, he, he's already purchased his uh, chirogenic chiro, uh, backup. You know, he's, he's ready to be frozen. As oh, soon really? As well. <laughs> yeah. So when the time comes, he can be resuscitated. Yeah. And from his point of view, um, either basically, this is what a lot of these, these guys say. Either, what is all this? Um, I'm getting these texts. Um, there, there's two possibilities. Either human beings, enormously magnified, like Kurt, Kurzweil thinks, either we're going to take over the galaxy, or AGI will. And it won't, won't be hemmed in by a biological body. I mean, how cool would it be? You see, to be made of silicon. Uh, without all that messy carbon and flesh and organs and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, so th- they have wild, what you might call scientific fantasies, uh, many of these guys. And this is one of the problem with the demographic makeup of Silicon Valley. It's so male. It's alpha male. It's, you know, uh, and their attitude toward the human body is often somewhat contemptuous. Because they see it as so inefficient, such a short lifespan, pathetically limited brain, maybe two or three things you can keep track of. Come on. Yeah. They're talking about, you know, something much better. They want to engineer our replacement. Well, God bless them. But, uh, you know. Let me ask you a question, though, about this. I wrote an essay about this some years ago called The Singularity. Is this the self-actualization of, of, divine, of, of divine potential? In other words, is this the next move, evolutionary move? Now, what if that evolutionary move involved the possibility of generating within a computer program something, something analogous to human interiority? Now, it wouldn't be human. It would be computer interiority. It would be able to take into account itself, maybe even develop motives of its own. See, this is one of the big, the motive problem is a big issue. Do you remember, did you ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No, I never did. It's fine. It's, it's a good read. But anyway, there's, this, there's a super intelligence computer in there. And he's bored. It's a he. He calls, you know, he has a he personality. But he gets bored. And, you know, he's already thought of everything. He can pretty much do whatever, but, but he's got no motivation. So the issue of motivation is big. Now, why are we motivated? For one thing, we want to survive. And we also 
you know, Maslowian hierarchy of needs, we also want to make a contribution and yes. maximize our ability and increase yeah. our relationship. Contribute. Yeah, make it make a difference. So, so we have motivation. And when you get real depressed, you aren't motivated. But those of us who are can <laughs> work against our some tendency to be depressed, we can keep going with this. But how would you make a a computer motivated? And would we want to? Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, for them, motivation in the human being is just a problem of meat. It's not really a problem of anything, you know, any non-material reality. Right. And there's such a thing as, I mean, from an integral perspective, as a spiritual perspective, there's such a thing as non-material reality. And then there's also just the absolute, the, you know, the, right. that, and, 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 and none of that's online for these people who are doing this kind of theorizing. And again, the, the problem of creativity, motivation, love, these are all just, you know, subjective artifacts of this machine that we are. Right. That's why they're, they're you know, how should I put this? How are we going to get through this? Okay, are we going to end up making ourselves extinct, or are we going to end up with a society of of people who are basically kind of human wreckage because they have no motivation? Think about that. I mean, think about it now for for you and me. I mean, I'm ten years older than you. I mean, life is all about getting a job. I mean, getting a career going, uh, making something myself so I can make money. Yeah, I know. No, I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, when you don't have to do something. I've had a little bit of experience with that because, you know, I haven't had to work for the last 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to get off the couch. And fortunately, I've got enough sort of other stuff online that I do get off the couch, but I wouldn't necessarily, you know, give that option to a 15 year old or, or me when I was 20, you know, I don't know. I don't just, you know, it's, it's a problem. Well, think about it. Think about it. You and I know people who were born wealthy, you know, and, and if their parents don't handle this right, their kids are in big trouble. Exactly. Because they're, they're never going to do anything. Yeah. Your parents are worth, you know, hundred million, two billion or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have no financial worries, and there's no particular hurry to do anything. Yeah, but if this is the move that we talk about even in integral theory of, of moving from a deficiency operating system to a I want to express and create operating system. That's the first and second tier. And, um, you know, for people who it, it's all about all their for all their ancestors, it's been about we have to work so we can live. Now, all of a sudden, it's a whole new set of motivations. They don't just appear out of nothing. Right. That's but right. they are there. And I do think we will f- find our way into it. We're going to have to. We have to. And, but uh, that, the problem is the telescoped nature of the change we're facing. Oh, you're right. Cultures, yeah. you know, like, you know, could take some time. They could kind of get adapted to the airplane. Okay. Well, that took a long time to roll out to be any good, you know, I mean, but with this stuff, it's like the next day there's some new thing that yeah. really disrupts an existing. Let me get this book came online, you know, what, big time in 2007 or something like that? Well, it was like the iPhone that showed up around the same That's time. That's essential. So, and think of the, the alteration. We, at this point, you know, there are social psychologists and psychologists studying all this. I, I'm not familiar with their literature, but I can. But I would love for them to have an interiority built in, but of course, contemporary psychology is missing that. Yeah. So, first of all, A, what Silicon Valley needs is A, a lot more women who are attuned to their own embodiment, because you can have women who are the same type of libertarian disembodied, although it's perhaps more difficult for many women to get into that space. I mean, who would want to get into that space? But that feminine sensibility, however that's expressed, you can have it as a man, the attunement to corporeality. I mean, there's a lot of Gnosticism in Silicon Valley, which is contempt for the body. (laughs) Your thing that has to be shed so we can get really going on what we want, which is galactic mastery. I mean, what? that's a big goal, right? Meaning of it. What, What is the purpose of all that? Now, so the second thing missing, in addition to respect and appreciation for the emotions, for the body, and all the stuff that's dissed by a lot of these Silicon Valley libertarians is too woo-woo, okay, is interiority. This is why integral 
theory, integral awareness needs to have some kind of presence, some kind of input. Yeah. Constantly raising the question of interiority. Yes. Yeah, that's right. There's one guy that uh, Ken is familiar with, this guy, David Chalmers. Do you know him? You've mentioned him. Yeah, he's an Australian uh, philosopher of mind. He was here at CU Boulder five or six years ago. And he's, he's tuned into all this stuff. He, he, his argument has been for a number of years. Um, let, let me back up with this. What philosophy was like in the 60s, 70s, and 80s when I was, you know, I was in graduate school in the 70s, consciousness was just not on the table. Because philosophy is dependent on science in a way for its empirical, you know, we depend on physics. All white right-hand quadrants. Yeah, and the same thing with psychology. What was psychology then? Behaviorism. Yep. For which... Consciousness, subjectivity, first person, all that was no go. Love, creativity, you know. You can't talk about that stuff because well, all because if you're going to be a scientific psychologist, you have to study human behavior from the third person perspective. Yep. It's watching what the humans do. It's not talking to them. Rather, you observe them talking to each other. So for, for me, I, mean, I was starved for this. I was starved for something like conscious, you know, getting subjectivity, consciousness in. That's why I was attracted to European philosophers like Nietzsche and Heidegger and Sartre and all these people. They were not, they were not constrained by this. Uh, yeah. Now, behaviorism finally went out of fashion. And in the 80s and 90s, something like consciousness returned in philosophy. Now, this is a big deal because philosophers interact with people in, uh, in computer science and so on those who do this kind of thing. And Chalmers was one of the big guns. He said, look, you cannot give an account of what it's like to be a human being if you just rely on behaviorism and neuroscience. Thank you. The neuroscience studying the patterns in the brain, which is what all these guys are doing now, thinking they're finding out how the brain works. And this is good. No, it's not enough. And it's not enough to, to observe people's behavior. No, you have to explain how it's possible and what it's like for me to be me and experience talking to you and remembering things and feeling emotions and wishes and getting hungry. All that stuff is first person. And there's an, no one else can have access to it unless I tell them about it. That's right. Right. It's my sharing. That's what language enables a sharing of interiority. Intersubjectivity follows. But see, he said, look, Instead of regarding interiority, consciousness, first person, as some late arrival, you know, like it showed up maybe with some higher mammals and human beings, okay? Otherwise, everything, he said, no. It's as something like interiority, however meager it is. It starts all the way down at the bottom. It's basic as space, time, matter, energy, interiority. It's one of the basic elements of reality then you don't have a problem with how it could be. Sure. And then, but if you, if you posit that, that here's the thing, then you have to have a way of talking about it that's not just reducible to the brain. Right. That's where... Yeah, the, the, you know, the brain may be an antenna for it. The brain may be in some ways analogous to it, exactly. uh, you know, but it's not reducible to it. Not reducible to it. And that's when, in his, his insistence, he called that the hard problem of consciousness. Yes, yes. That, that's where that phrase came from. And that's where it, it seems to me that a lot of these um, computer you know, geeks are hung up. Now, in Kurzweil's book, I recommend everyone read his books. Ten years old, but it's still great. The singularity is near. He has like the, the singularity is when computers are smart as humans. Right, and that, and that there's a takeoff. Yeah. They start reprogramming them. Reprogram programming themselves until they become millions. Okay. Right, right. It's so the singularity, think about this. It is a unique event which alters history. So that's when he talks about the singularity. Our history will never be the same. And it, it's almost sometimes I, I have this feeling, you know how when um, you're walking through the park and suddenly you see the leaves start blowing around and stuff? I feel like we're in, you can see the leaves are moving. See, they're being drawn towards something. It's not just they're being pushed. They're 
There's an attraction. This is like that strange attractor. The future is, is now pulling us toward it, okay? And we're not able to stop it because there's no government in charge of anything. You're scaring me again. Well, this is what's happening. I just think there's no way around this. Unless yeah. we blow ourselves up, which is a possibility. I suppose that's, yeah, I can't rule that out either, huh? Meteor hitting us or, you know, but if, if things continue at this exponential rate, just to look, to think back how primitive the iPhone was 10 years ago. And now what the, I, you know, the X, the X phone or whatever they call it. I mean, it's like, it's in it, it, no, it, social media so yeah. every day they get better every day new developments take place they're they're put out there in the market they're suddenly are being consumed they alter basic human patterns of relationship mm-hmm. let me give you an example of how i saw this film another hour-long program produced in australia about artificial intelligence uh one of the key players was this truck driver uh, faced with the prospect of self-driving big rigs. Right? He's been driving trucks for 30 years, he's in his 50s. He was skeptical, uh, but it's just no doubt it's going to happen. Right? And it'll take a while to roll out because there's a lot of capital investment in trucks which don't do that. Right. You saw Elon, and he presented his new truck a week or two ago, right? Mm-hmm. I think the guy has enough money to, to do a, a prototype big rig. Not to he's, the first, he's the first person in history to start four separate billion-dollar companies. I mean, he's astonishing. Guy, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, you know, historical he, figure. Very worried about AGI. I know he is. I know he is. He's, he's in that world, and he sees what... But I think he's also a materialist, that he could be really smart and really effective and yeah, still yeah, miss that piece of the puzzle. There is... The, that's the... Now, you know, Ken Wilbur is pretty de- depressed right now, but he, he sees this as... He doesn't have. He doesn't see a magic transformation coming about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doesn't mean that uh, there's not going to be. But we we don't know how to get there. How how do we bring that into the conversation in a way that allows for a, a finer, uh, a better form of AGI? Yeah. Uh, I mean, but but in any case, so in addition to this truck driver uh, faced with potential. Uh, uh, what's the word, being made redundant, as the English say, you know, in other words, you're fired. Um, there was this, this young gal, I guess she's in her 20s. She was in some um, law clerk program, you know, in, in Austria. She, I think she had just about finished. And so they had invited her um, to kind of meet with this guy who had a computer. So in about two and a half minutes, he completes this whole uh answers this fairly complicated question, but which is one that's just pretty standard. And she's sitting there with her own computer because he had this whole program. She's like on step three of 20. He's done. And he came up with the right answer. Now, she was kind of crestfallen because what's her future going to be? Since she was counting on linear growth, not exponential growth, she thought it would be enough that she'd learn how to use the computer and access stuff. But when you have a computer next to you with algorithms far more powerful than anything you can come up with, what's going to happen to that? Now, they did us, you know, human beings, let's face it, we we are faced with change that we're, we're not ready for. 70%, I read this recently, they did a survey. About two-thirds of people uh, believe that a whole lot of jobs are going to go to robots and AGI and stuff in the coming five, 10 years, but not their job. They're all sure that no, no, nobody, you know, robot, you know, could. <laughs> I'm going to farm out the daily evolver to a robot. That does it. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go voluntarily redundant. They have sports riding robots. <laughs> they have all kind of, that write, you know, stories about development. I don't know if I'm going to get the same transmission from that. But there's something fun about human beings that, you know, they don't have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, once again, we're free to be, you know, whatever. Well, there's we'll just be so creative and so, you know, uh, in each other's hair. We'll be doing, we'll figure something out. Nothing, but, but there's another example. There, One of these guys of two or three years ago made a presentation to, uh, what is it? 
Goldman Sachs to senior executives, maybe 20, not the very top 10, but say right underneath them. Okay. And this guy was making this pitch about AGI and what's going to happen. And, and he said later, he said, he, he, he half, they didn't realize that within a few years, half of those people won't be there. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be it's a big. bumpy ride. You know, there's no, no doubt about it, but I, I, I think we'll, you know, well, look at, look, think manage. about Marx. Marx. This is, you might, another one way of putting this, thinking about this, what did Marx say was going to happen with capitalism? He loved capitalism. Away. He loved capitalism. He didn't like the temporary effects of it, but the fierce competition that was at work in it would produce tremendous breakthroughs in industrial capacity, such that at a certain point, we wouldn't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Labor, especially alienated labor, would be over. And you could play the guitar in the morning and fish in the mm-hmm. afternoon, as he said, mm-hmm. although he was actually totally clueless about what such a society would look like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're about to enter, if, if things go the best possible way, a period of such abundance and clean abundance, probably bring out a lot of environmental issues. And, you know, but then what? What what do we do with our time besides smoking dope or getting drunk or playing you know computer games or Facebook? I mean, is that it? We'll become superfluous, even to ourselves. What <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah, I think we just. I'm just you know, asking. We, we we move from a world of where our our, our you know we're uh, obs- uh, obsessed with material wealth. That's been since day one is getting so we're safe and we're healthy and we have enough calories and we can stay warm in the winter and all of that good stuff. And then we move to the subtle realm, you know, which is the world of thought and ideas and, you know, that kind of creativity. I think that's a whole new world of the ways that we can interrelate with each other. And then there's the spiritual realm. And we'll be doing, you know, I don't know, levitating. I don't know what we'll, we'll be doing something like that. That, I mean, that's, that's a, Best case scenario. Yeah, that's the best case scenario. That it would be so. I mean, yeah. yeah. But even I, I think about look, think about it this way. Think about how many people cannot make it in ordinary society. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and think about the people whose lives are so structured around their everyday going to work. And who don't yet have the wherewithal to reinvent themselves. No. no. What would it take socioculturally to have a basic human reinvention program? Uh, and what would that, who would, who would run it? No, that's the, the we're going to have to get good at that. And, you know, just as when, with modernity and when we lose God, we become sort of alienated. That's the sort of disease of modernity. And I would say the disease of post-modernity is depression. Yeah. And I think that there is, you know, that's ongoing. We're going to have, you know, because if you don't have anything to do, you're depressed. I mean, that's just you know, the way it is. And we're going to have to figure that one out. Um, and like you said, at a breakneck speed while we're walking and chewing gum at the same time. So well, look back at the, the Great Depression, you know, the, the genius of Roosevelt, you know, and his people was they realized the extent of despair. Yeah. National depression, literally. Yeah. Yeah, really. The Great Depression. Right. Everyone with interior, you know, quality to it. He made up all these make-work programs. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, you know, we've got all kinds of reclamations to do in this world. You know, who who knows? We'll have service corporate, you know, the service corps, you know, education. I don't know. Dancing. Right. There, there, so what we have to, well, there, that's, I want you to put that. That's a. That's hey, Michael, we got to wrap up here uh, oh. in about two or three minutes too. So okay. that, that seems to me that very topic is really rich. Okay. What, what would it look like? What kind of program, what kind of process could be envisioned and thought about now that could start to be rolled out? Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened, I'll just close with this, in uh, I think it was Dayton or Youngstown, one of these old, uh, in Ohio, these industrial cities. Um, now they've got these big spaces where people come in and make things mm-hmm. with brick and mortar and board and, and you know, metal. 
Uh, and, and so that they're creating a workplace in which they can be creative. Uh, and, and, and so it hands on this whole interest in what do they call it? Uh, uh, steam, steam, Steampunk. yeah, the whole interest in the tangible as opposed to the, yes. digital, the analog. Yes. Yes. That's an expression of this yearning for hands. Yes. That's what's, this is yes. what Mark said, you know, it was the brain and hand that the thumb that allowed us to become human. Yeah. To the extent to which our hands are doing nothing but hitting keyboard, it's pretty right. boring for yeah. a lot. Right on. Get back to hands-on humanity. Yeah. This new context. Right on. Well, I'm glad we got that all figured out and straightened out. <laughs> At least we know what we need to be doing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's certainly lots to talk about here, and I'd love to check in on you uh, regularly. But this is, you know, uh, helps lay out the land, uh, you know, and um, see if we could bring an evolutionary view to this that you know, includes more. So uh, here. give it a stat, give it a good stab. Including interiority. Exactly. Right, and the body. Feel and it. the body, yes, exactly. So thank you, Michael Zimmerman. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.